Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So, last weekend, I was lucky enough to be on a retreat, a weekend retreat in um, Palos Verdes at the Mary and Joseph Center. And um, the teacher asked a question at the beginning of the retreat that really caught me, intrigued me. We've heard this question before. And I must say that um, there's really nothing new to teach, right? I don't think you'll hear anything new, but hopefully you'll hear it with a different set of ears, you know, maybe a different mind, and maybe it will hit somewhere in the body differently, your heart, belly, your mind. So the question she asked is, how do we develop receptivity and openness to present experience rather than reactivity? It's a good question, right? And then this question arose again. I was um, taking an online course on um, the neurobiology of trauma, something like this. Um, and they talked a lot about mindfulness and they defined mindfulness again as an open receptivity in the moment rather than a reactivity to what is happening and how that affects your brain, your central nervous system and your immune system. So it uh, really caught my attention and that has stayed with me all day and sure enough I woke up today um, with a bit, fighting a bit of a cold bug and it was rainy and a little cold. And then I walked into the kitchen and um, there was no coffee. <laughs> and um, so receptivity, reactivity, right? And uh, got out into the night air in my flip-flops and drove down to the coffee place. My mind was not saying yes to the moment, as I'm sure your mind has not said yes to the moment this week some, at some point, right? And um, I got out of the car and it had rained. I don't know if it rained where you live. It had rained and I had flip-flops on and I just was standing there in front of the coffee place and um, there was this beautiful smell of the rain. You know, it's this beautiful smell of the rain. And this coffee place has a fountain and the fountain was babbling. And then there were these luminous puddles all over the place, really beautiful little puddles. And looking up at the sky, it was breaking, dawn was breaking, and the air was kind of and the cool breeze really hit my face, the dampness of that moment. And it was just so nice to walk in flip-flops on a wet, puddly floor in L.A. that's so dry, you know, all the time. Um, 
and there was like kind of this caress of rainy air on my cheek. And as I entered, the light of the coffee shop was very soft, and there was this low murmur of conversation of people over coffee. And then my hand touched the cup of this warm coffee. And I thought, um, this is the richness of life. This is the richness of aliveness, of living, of being. And that everything we've been working with on the path, present moment experience, sensing the body, being with the senses, knowing objects. What happens is when we give ourselves this space, this time, this capacity, there's this beautiful luminosity, presence, sweetness, gratitude, aliveness, um, almost a cherished moment that fills and nurtures every core of the being, every bit of being. It's just enough. You know, it's more, more than enough. And yet, these moments, as precious as they are, we don't always allow ourselves to sink in and have them. A lot gets in the way for moments like that. Sometimes it's just a, a mind that says, no, you know, I want my coffee in my house, right? Or I, I have a Dharma talk to write, you know, right? That mind, you know, it doesn't take much. And um, the other interesting thing that many interesting things happened in this retreat that I'd love to just share along this line of um, presence present moment, being in the present moment, the sweetness of it. The teacher on the, it's a three-day retreat, and the second day she um, got the housekeeping lady at Mary and Joseph Center, and um, surprise, surprise, we're going to have a work meditation. <laughs> and uh, there out came brooms and vacuum cleaners and things you dust with and gloves and all sorts of stuff and the housekeeping lady had a list of assignments for about the 30 of us that were there and um, so she gave us instructions for a work meditation and normally my mind would have grumbled right away, like, I work 40 hours. <laughs> I don't need to clean the Mary and Joseph Retreat Center, you know. But, um, you know, mine was still, it was kind of open, receptive. But that grumble wasn't there yet. Um, and um, this isn't unusual. Because if you go on retreat, you have a work meditation. And I had recently been on retreat, not too long ago. And I will tell you that the instruction there is to be present in the body and in the moment and work mindfully. Um, and many of you have done that. However, I have to say, when I'm on retreat, I cheat. 
you know, my mind says, hurry up, get this work meditation done too. Take a walk, right? Take a shower, go sit more, do an extra walking meditation, you know, lay down. So even in the work meditation, my mind is pushing forward to something better. You know, it's that forward motion to get to something else. And that's what I did on my last retreat for two weeks. I will admit that I wasn't quite present for the work meditation. But here at Mary and Joseph, there wasn't much else to do, you know. And so she gave us um, some beautiful instruction, very lovely. And she said, the first thing I want you to do is to collect your attention from a scattered place. Stop collect. Um, don't let your mind go forward into the future or back in the past. And the way you bring your mind to this moment requires presence and presence requires physicality. Um, so find your body. Find your body. Find where your body is on the planet and stay there. And her next instruction is, don't say yes but to presence. Don't say yes but I don't want to dust. Or don't say yes but I don't want to pick up trash. Or yes but my lower back aches. Right. Don't say yes but. She said forget your issue. Forget your issue. Stay with what is there. Stay with what is there. And so we went off to the Mary and Joseph Center and I swept the grounds and other people did other tasks. Um, and this time I really stopped, stood there, made contact, which it helps me to kind of touch the heart area, and really noticed when the mind would chatter. Really zoned in, oh, future, past. And it wasn't an ideal weekend for me. I had some worries, a family member's quite ill so it's not like I was just a free and happy sense of self. There was some um, rumination and some justifiable worry there that happens in life. But even with that, it was, there was time, stop, pause, past, future, here. And really using the five senses, the, the seeing, the hearing, the touching, standing, the physicality of standing on the ground to presence. Um, Mary and Joseph Center is a quite beautiful place, but until that moment, I wasn't even looking at it. I was kind of shocked at the beauty of this view into the floor of LA and the plants, and the aliveness, the trees, quite beautiful. And it turned out to be quite 
informative um, as a way to access presence, to be in presence. And it made me wonder about the rest of the week, which is work, right? What could I bring to that? And some of her comments about this um, were quite interesting. And um, her reflection on present moment <coughs> awareness as an alive, luminous, expansive, and even expansive beyond, beyond your physical body boundary. You know, and the heart opens. And we're living in the heart. That love, that sense of love, appreciation, value, gratitude, extends beyond the body. It's a field of love. It, it extends and others come in. It's bodiless. You know, that sense of boundless love includes everyone and everything when we tap in. Right? And yet, we live in a very um, constricted sense of self, a box. We're boxed in. We're boxed in by um, the image that we have of ourselves and the way we're protecting ourselves and the chatter of the mind. It's, we're boxed in. We don't live in that rich, expansive beauty of the heart a lot. Yeah? Yeah. Um, so the poem by Mary Oliver. The dream of my life is to lie down by a slow river and stare at the light in the trees. To learn something by being nothing. Just a little while through the rich lens of attention. That's a short poem, but it's got a lot in it. And, and we, we contemplated this yesterday as well. Um, to learn something by being nothing. And it kind of requires that chatter of the mind to empty out. And this work meditation, by the way, um, is not new to me at all, and it's not new to a lot of you, but um, it, it comes from um, a mystic philosopher, spiritual teacher by the name of Gurdjieff, and he taught, um, I think in the 30s, the 40s, and um, my parents were students of Gurdjieff, and there was a farm in upstate New York that we would go to, and they would do this work meditation, and even the kids would do it. And I remember as a kid just feeling completely contracted by a sense of inadequacy <laughs> that was just so profound. I mean, my work meditation was filled with, I couldn't possibly be good enough to be whatever it is they want me to be. And I really didn't understand what they wanted me to be. I think a child probably doesn't grasp these concepts very well, but um, 
probably, I would say, one comment that my parent made that set me into a mind frame of inadequacy, and I, I bring this up to make a point, um, not to um, have a psychotherapy session. <laughs> um, although it could certainly feel that way, right? And, and she said something like, you know, we're here on scholarship, and the others aren't, so you need to behave well. And that was well-intentioned, but what does an egoic self interpret that as? And the ego. The ego interprets it as, I'm not really good enough, and I better try real hard to be good enough. And most children have a version of that. Yesterday, someone told me their version. Um, he was raised in a Mormon family, and just his whole life, the ego was like, how do you be the perfect Mormon son? You know, and so everybody has a version or a flavor of an egoic twist that kind of not good enough and I, I need to protect and defend and have an image of better. But what's here is not enough. It's just a universal Western mind fart, <laughs> for a better word, right? That's all it is. So... Um, I, I bring you to that point to say that one thing that gets in the way of this, um, this beautiful capacity for um, the sweetness of presence, of present moment experience, and the expansive state that we can live in, this joy from the heart, is the story of the inadequate self. You know, and and it's and what it has to say, and um, one of the comments, a couple of comments from the retreat in talking to people, because this wasn't entirely a silent retreat. Um, one friend said, um, "Wow, you know, when I don't hear this chattering mind that is evaluating me, good, bad, up, down." dumb, stupid, why did you say that, why did you do that, you know, that kind of thing that we do, most of us. And um, she said, I, I've just stayed with the breath in my body, I just stayed with the breath in the belly and really was there for the breath. Um, there isn't a me anymore, there isn't a boundary, right? It's just here, being. It's just alive. And her commentary on it struck me is it's not just I'm alive and it's beingness and there's no boundary. There's also um, an uncertainty of the moment. There's a not knowing. There's a not knowing that's so freeing. So to learn something by being nothing a little while. There's an openness. My mind doesn't know. So coming back to receptivity rather than reactivity, right? My mind isn't telling a story, telling me how to act, if I'm good enough, did I say it well, did I do well? But receptive to the moment, my mind doesn't know. So what comes out is just the truth of this moment. Just this moment, arriving in this moment, as it is, right here, right now. To learn something by being nothing a little while.
I don't know is perfectly enough. Now, we don't do that well. We have to know. But the truth is, we don't have to know. We don't have to know. Not at all. Just the ability to be with that rich lens of attention is enough. It's enough. I was joking last night with Casey. <laughs> I was just joking around. I was like, oh, Casey, I, I don't really have a Dharma talk. You know, and so he's trying to be my brother. And, all right, well, what's your topic? Okay, so work, right? And so you can go here, you can say that, you can go to not And I was just looking at him, I was laughing. I'm just pulling your chain. <laughs> because I don't know what the Dharma talk is, and I don't have to know. That's what I learned. <laughs> I've learned that. It's taken me about three or four years, right? But... Linda's nodding. <laughs> but, you know, it's that sweet moment of, I was like laughing because I don't need to have so much control. And that's a good message. I don't have to have so much control. I just have to give myself the space and the time um, to land. So I'll read one more thing, and then I think we could practice a little. What do you think? We could practice a little, and I'll give you those instructions. But I'll read one more thing um, from Thich Nhat Hanh that I thought was very beautiful. Let's see. And um, this is a book that Bonnie gave me about um, meditation and work from Thich Nhat Hanh that's lovely. And I've had it on my um, dresser, you know, when I wake up, like, you know, mindful at work. What a thought, maybe. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not always. <laughs> and so he's talking about um, just walking out the door, the meditation of walking out the door for work, which we do, right? So he says, um, in the Dataka Tales, one of the earliest collections of Buddhist literature, we can read about the former lives of the Buddha. In these stories, the Buddha appears in different manifestations, sometimes a deer, a monkey, a rock, or even a mango tree. In each of these manifestations, whether animal, plant, or mineral, we can see a bodhisattva, a being of great compassion. When we go out our front door and take our first steps on the earth, even if it's covered in concrete, we can still see and feel nature all around us. And we could recognize that nature is also a bodhisattva. When we look deeply at a tree, we can see that the tree offers its beauty to us and that it nourishes and sustains life. Its leaves can help clean the air we breathe, and it provides a safe place of refuge for so many birds. 
There are bodhisattvas all around us. Our entire planet, Earth, is a bodhisattva. It carries us very solidly. It's very patient and it doesn't discriminate. No matter what we throw on the earth, it embraces and accepts without discrimination. Whether we throw fragrant flowers or perfumed oil on the earth, or whether we throw urine, excrement, or other impure substances, the earth can absorb and transform all of these things. It has great capacity to be patient and to endure. It offers up so much that nourishes us and supports all life. It gives us water, it gives us air to breathe and food to eat. It is a true bodhisattva. Every time we walk out the door, even if we're just on the way to our car to go to work, we can take the time to notice the great earth bodhisattva is all around us nourishing and sustaining us. So going back to that work meditation and that weekend, just walking and sweeping, I could sense and feel into the field of compassion of being, that there's a ground and a compassion and a sense of nourishment and nurturance to sustain or hold whatever challenge is there. You know? If we can just slow, stop, breathe. So what I'd like us to do this morning, which will require a little bit of um, maneuvering, <laughs> is to do some walking outside here. Uh, and with an instruction of stop, see where your mind is. Is it in the future? I'm going to get a bagel and coffee after this. It's going to be great. Right? Is it in the past? Uh, a conversation or a chore, right? Is it in an inadequate sense of self? Right? Or a critical self? A self that, you know. And this teacher, her point was that I failed to make when talking about that inadequate sense of self, the little stories we create, all egoic selves are inadequate in some way, right? We're not God. You know, we're not, um, we're, we're just not an all being. We can't fix it. So when you believe that it's inadequate, you're really stuck. It's, we're all inadequate. There's no superhero. It's just, our fantasy is a superhero self, but there is no superhero self. So inadequacy is part of our story. We just take it so personally, right? Hmm. I had a funny story as a kid, a certain story, but we all have a flavor of that story. We take it as me. <laughs> so the instruction is stop. Am I in past? Am I in future? Am I in adequate me? Or am I fighting with this moment? Who the heck wants to put on their shoes and walk on Broadway, right? Mm -hmm. I'm saying no to the moment. These are the things that get in the way of the present moment, right? So stop, check, find your body. 
find your physicality, whether it's through seeing through the senses or feeling into your body or the walking meditation. And stay with your body. Stay with present moment. And we'll do this for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. And as we do it, we're practicing the Buddhist teaching, right? Mindfulness of the body, staying in the body, noticing through the sense doors, using awareness to know that you're seeing, smelling, hearing, feeling, touching. You're practicing the first foundation of mindfulness already. And you're knowing what's the mind. Right? You're knowing what's the story of the mind. Okay? Any questions? All right, we'll go 10 or 15 minutes. It won't be long, and then we'll come back. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.